Hey, how you doing? Thank you for listening. It's Melissa Gale here bringing to you the Work, Life and Balance show. The purpose of my podcast is to share with you some great content from everyday people. My guests come from a variety of backgrounds and they'll be discussing with me their work, passions and personal life stories. I hope you really enjoy it. If you do, please leave a review. Hey there guys, welcome to another episode of the See Within Work Life Balance podcast. I do all hope that you are staying safe and well. Now in this episode, this is one that's very close to my heart, um, a charity that I'm involved with and support. I'm joined by the lovely Alison Beatty, who is Counselling Service Manager for Number 22 Community Counselling Service. Now, Alison actually heads up the division for young people, children and families, and she's very much involved as well in um, getting counsellors in the school settings and providing support there in in that community um, location. We're going to be talking about the impact of COVID and more importantly so as well, um, being mindful and aware of the adjustments for children returning to school, which is just about to take place. Lots of young people and parents are really excited about the return, but there are also a lot of young people and parents too that are feeling very anxious right now. Okay, so we're back in the studio and it's Melissa Gale here, Work-Life Balance Show, and I'm joined by the lovely Alison Beatty, who is Counselling Service Manager for Number 22 Community Counselling Service, which is based Maidenhead, Slough, Windsor. How are you doing, Alison? I'm very well, thank you. Thank you for having me back. It was some time ago that uh, you invited myself and Shula onto the show, so thank you for, for having me back. No, it's lovely to see you. Lovely to see you again. And, and how's your week going this this week? How's it been for you? Yeah, it's all all going well. We've had a little bit of sunshine and the daffodils are coming out. So I think for everybody, there was a little bit of hope and a little bit of light at the end of the tunnel. Um, that's on a personal level. So, um, And in my professional role, we're on the cusp of returning to schools. So um, just getting um, a handle on how that's going to look um, for us as an organisation. And uh, I know we're going to be discussing schools particularly in, and our counselling service. So um, we're trying to work out the best way um, of getting the support for the young people so that we are available as soon as schools reopen. Yeah, yeah. And um, gosh, <laughs> Who knows how knows how that's all going to unfold, but um, things are things are definitely looking positive. But I'm sure there's still going to be quite a few challenges along the way as we're returning, um, getting the children back into back into schools, and and all of us really as the the stages of lockdown ease over the next coming months. So before we do get started, Alison. Um, your title, as I understand it, is Counselling Service Manager, um, heading up sort of children, young people and, and families within the charity. Can you just give a, a bit of an overview of um, what that role entails and how long you've been with Number 22? Mm. Sure. So so I've been with Number 22 for a very long time. I've actually been with Number 22 for about 15 years. Um, I started out as a trainee counsellor many years ago um, and was a volunteer counsellor within the service for about nine or ten years, I think. Um, I do a little bit of training for for number 22 and some supervision, some clinical supervision, which supports um, the counsellors that we had in schools at the time. And a couple of years ago, um, about two and a half years ago now, the sort of service recognised that um, 
we needed some more input and some direction and some creativity because our waiting list was growing massively and continues to do so. Um, my passion has always been around working with children and young people. Um, so throughout my whole counselling career, um, I've been a school counsellor um, and that's sort of really my natural flow has taken me towards young people. So that's sort of where my skills lie. So I, I sort of came back into number 22 in this position as a counselling service manager for children and young people and families we incorporate into that as well. So over the last couple of years, what I've been doing with the team is really building up our provision out in the community. Um, we had a little bit going on in schools, but it, it felt quite an unfair provision at that particular time. And, and it, it's more aligned now, um, but I would like to see it being um, compulsory that all particular secondary schools have a school counsellor in situ. Um, as it stands at the moment in England, it, it's really up to the individual schools. What we've been able to do is fill that gap a little bit um, and start going in and offering really uh, professional, um, easy, accessible, qualified counselling that makes it very easy for the schools to manage and it makes it, it um, that young people can access psychological support and counselling in a really timely manner. Okay, so that's what I've been busy doing over the last few years. Yes, you have been busy. You have been busy, and I, and I know that. And just really wanting to make it clear as well. So, you know, the the charity is established in certain key areas, and of course, it's been operating very much online as a one to one counselling service as well since COVID arrived. Um, but it does actually support um, over the uh, border, if you like, in respect of. Um, Marlow as well. Um, mm. I know that uh, you have school counsellor in Great Marlow School, as, as well as a number of schools, obviously, within the locations that I've just um, mentioned. So what um, have you seen sort of a, a huge benefit in your in your school counsellors being placed in school? You know, from from when you started, has there been a lot of positive mm. feedback in, in placing those school counsellors in schools? Absolutely. And in answer to your question around the sort of the areas that we cover, we do have an official quite right in Windsor, Maidenhead and Slough. However, a lot of these children might reside in a particular area, but be schooled in another area. So the lovely kind of ethos of number 22 is that we don't really uh, turn anybody away based on postcode or based on need. So actually, um, we do get a lot of people from the, the Marlow and the Bucks areas and the sort of um, areas around, you know, Burnham and places like that, um, and even further afield. So we will always take anybody in support, um, anybody that approaches us to go onto the waiting list. With the answer to your question in the schools, I think the statistics say it all, as always. I hate to talk about statistics when we're talking about young people, but all of the school counsellors that were placed two and a half years ago are all still in situ. Schools have renewed the packages and enhanced them and wanting more. So as a charity, you know, we're not charging a huge amount. We're charging a fair amount that allows us to um, provide a professional service to schools um, and to be able to run it as a service. But we're a non-profit organisation. So therefore, um, schools are, it's much more readily available within their financial um, budgets. Mm. So that's been really important because sometimes it is out of their you know, 
financial restraints is something that comes up with schools all the time. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah. And you were mentioning about the fact that what you would like to see, Alison, is is more. You know, it's a required a requirement in all secondary schools that counsellors are provided. Do you have any insight or hope that that potentially is on the cards? Because there is a lot of um, talk and figures and stats about um, money being invested by the government in supporting um, individuals around mental health and well-being across the board. So is there any hint that that might be unfolding um, in the near future? Mm. And may I just at this opportunity, I think this is appropriate to bring in, um, I was lucky enough to be part of something called the Ethos Project. Mm. The Ethos Project was a big government funded piece of research into um, counselling in schools, in a school um, setting. It's the first piece of uh, research that has really been done around school counselling. And the evidence has just been and the research has just been published actually in the last few months. And it does show that, it, that, that school counselling is effective. So that's, that, that's a really important message to come out of that piece of research. It also picked up that, you know, depending on the level of need, um, because it was short-term work that we, we, that we were doing and it was interventions over a model of 10 weeks that we were offering the young people. Like all research, it gives us the evidence, but it also gives us the work to be able to move forward in the direction that's mm. needed. Mm. So I think the evidence is there to prove that actually counselling within a school setting is effective. It does reduce psychological distress for the young people and it is more accessible. So in answer to your question around do I hope, well, the, the, the backbone of this piece of research, I guess, was to try and align because in Scotland and Wales, it is compulsory to have school counsellors and in secondary schools across the board. That's one of the things that obviously we were trying to gain out of this is that um, that alignment of provision for all young people mm. rather than depending on which postcode you get, depends on what service you get. That is an ongoing um, conversation that's happening, I think, all the time. The government has responded um, as part of the Green Paper. Um, they they put in a big sort of agenda of change around what's going to be happening. Um, I'm lucky enough to be part of what they call a local implementation group. Um, and I, I represent the voluntary sector within that. And it's now starting to kind of trickle down into schools. So schools do have a lot more access to support. They're not calling them counsellors. They're calling them mental health practitioners. Mm. Mm. And there is a difference. There is, And there is a slight difference. However, what we're doing as an organisation is complementing. So there's no either or of those services. They are about complementing one another. So there is even more for the young person to access and the staff and the school if necessary. Yeah, yeah. So... It's it's really sort of like a cohesive, isn't it? Cohesive opportunity, hopefully, that there are going to be um, a number of avenues that are going to be in situ in place to, to help young people. Um, mm. and, I, and actually, I wasn't aware, Alison, that um, the provision of councils is already available within schools in Scotland and Wales, but not in England. Is that what... Mm. Did I hear you right there? Mm. That's what's going on. So it yeah. just... It just 
that yeah, that's quite surprising for me to hear that that is already in situ in those two other areas, but n- not here. Um, so fingers crossed, because there's going to be there's a need now, but very likely a much you know much greater need and demand going forwards as as we we the children go back into the the school um, place as well. So look, the arrival of um, COVID. What um, you know, it's it's obviously been a, a curveball for everybody. Um, who would have ever thought? You know, when we look back from from February, March last year to to now, how our worlds have have changed and our day to day circumstances has just been potentially sort of unbelievable, really. But it has happened. What are the the things that you have? I suppose really noticed or has been striking, um, and th- and things to that have really struck you in the impact that COVID has had on many young people, children, and families. Mm. Gosh, that feels a huge question. Mm. Um, for somebody that's always a half glass full kind of person, I think I've, I feel I want to acknowledge at this point the resilience actually. Mm. Um, not just to children and young people, but of human beings in the last year. So I feel I need to acknowledge that. And with the young people, I mean, they have shown huge resilience in getting through this. However, that doesn't take away from um, the loneliness and, um, you know, that sort of uh, lack of lack of contact with their peers. Um, I think for a lot of young people, and I say this very tentatively. I was on quite an interesting meeting the other day and there was a lovely lady there who gave us um, a talk with and a piece of research had been done around children's feelings at returning to school. Mm. And interestingly, the research has sort of shown, and bear with me, it's sort of give and take a few percentage. It worked out to be pretty much 50% are quite eager to return to school and 50% are really quite hesitant and would, would like to carry on as they are. Mm. And I think that statistic, uh, there were definitives within those of male and female and girls and boys and age groups. But the overall picture, that's a lot of children with a lot of resistance in going back to school. And I really think that we need to acknowledge that. Um, And also acknowledge where these young people were before COVID. Yeah. Um, We can't assume that they are in that same place because this year has been terrible in many ways for lots of people but like I say for some young people it's been helpful so I just want to acknowledge that that there is quite a stark difference Mm. um I think with young people what I hear at ground level so I'm I'm a counsellor in private practice myself and then I I work with a lot of school counsellors um the anxiety the big a word obviously is around Um, But I think it was around before. There was a huge amount of anxiety around. The anxiety is taking a different kind of shape um, and is bringing in health anxiety, for example. Um, It might be an area that somebody's never really worried about before. I think for all of us, getting back into the world and getting back into the swing of life, it's, it's... There are many words that come to mind for me, you know, nervousness, apprehension, anxious I'm worried I'm scared all of these being very normal and I think very understanding based on what we've been through 
So I'm quite reluctant to always put it an A in anxiety above everything because I think some of the feelings that the young people are experiencing is quite normal. Mm. Uh, but I think the transition period back to school is vital and we really need to be very gentle about how we do this. Um, I hope, um, this is my personal view, that, 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 that when they return at school, there'll be a lot of investment in <clears throat> the social part of, of getting them back into school with their friends and engaging and being part of something um, and trusting that the education will follow. Um, I hope the emphasis isn't straight on catching up the work that they've missed because actually all that's going to do is exacerbate the stress and the worry even more. So I hope there's some time to invest in that transition and acknowledging the difficult year that they've all been through. And dare I say for some, the loss that they've also been through. Mm-hmm. And, and do, you, do you see um, a sort of difference as well in the type of um, struggles that young people are having depending on their age category? Does it, does it seem to be sort of a, a, a more of a blanket overall, this is where the problems are? Or do you find that there are different things that are standing out for, as I say, those that are maybe um, transitioning from primary to secondary, mm-hmm. just starting secondary, or those around mm-hmm. GCSE, for instance? Yeah, I mean, the poor the poor cohorts of GCSE and A-levels, I think there was so much confusion and uncertainty. Um, so I think they, they are sitting slightly differently because it's really important to them what happens mm. over the next few months. Mm. And it feels a lot of them have expressed feeling like they've lost a lot of their power because their grades and their future is going to be not dependent on how they perform. Um, so that's quite difficult because it feels like they're having to trust the system. Um, I think generally, anyway, Melissa, we were seeing a much younger age group struggling. Mm. Um, as an organisation, we've tended to focus on secondary schools. Um, and when you asked me at the beginning, the sort of area of work that we're doing, we're having more and more primary schools wanting counselling in school and support, particularly in the transitional year of year six. As an organisation and as a charity, we feel very lucky. We were um, donated. We were given a donation by a local funder to do a targeted piece of work this year. So within the Maidenhead, uh, town of Maidenhead particularly, we've managed to target, and hopefully by the end of the year, we would have targeted all primary schools. The schools were able to identify the children that they were worried about with the transitioning. And we've done some specific sort of targeted work in small groups around emotional resilience um, and emotional sort of regulation and that sort of thing. The feedback has been incredibly positive, Mm, incredibly positive. So my hope (laughs) is that 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 can be reinforced within secondary school, within the work that's going to take place. Mm, mm, Fantastic, fantastic work. And and it's it's bringing in all these different elements but really important elements as well that are all contributing to just sort of say that overall well-being for young people whether it's about emotional well-being resilience whether it's the counseling support and other avenues as well and I suppose one one question comes to mind which which I'm I'm often involved with um people asking of me um is just really this this debate I suppose or or wondering that 
it, it seems as if, you know, me- mental health and um, well-being is, is a really a big factor and, and we know and we see um, as an, an agency and part, part of number 22, there's huge demand throughout um, um, service sectors to support people with mental health issues. But it does seem to be as well a huge... Um, huge demand and need in our school settings where once upon a time going back say a a decade or so it didn't seem there didn't seem to be the the um, awareness and the need so much as there is now do you have any I suppose suggestions or ideas or understanding to give to why why there is this huge prevalence now of mental health difficulties that are coming up in our young people it's not to say that it wasn't there before but but it, there seemed to be a time when it it wasn't a big topic like it is now and why perhaps our young people are struggling so much these days mm. big question Melissa. i'm throwing them at you aren't i alison i am sorry <laughs> that's a huge question that's a huge question <laughs> In response to your big, enormous question, that feels like it could be a whole societal debate around (laughs) why are our young people so worried and anxious and stressed? Gosh, where do I start? Um, I'm not an expert. I couldn't possibly um, kind of give you a definitive answer to that. I could give you some flavours of some things that I think contribute to it. Yes. Um, and I guess this comes from being a mum myself and having children that have gone through um, teenage years, through through a lot of the work I do individually, and also the pleasure I have of supporting a lot of school counsellors. So I hear a lot of what's going on in quite a diverse area. The dreaded social media. Yeah. We have to sort of bring that in. Um, now, you know, it's such a complex... Um, complex topic to talk about because the minute you mention young people and social media and if you're negative in any way you know that's not helpful to a young person I actually really invite the young person to share their virtual worlds in the counselling room um, because I think we have to acknowledge and there is some real studies particularly around the therapeutic sort of attachment to our phones and our devices so it's, it's not as clear-cut as our young people are addicted to their mobile phones. It's not as, as clear-cut as that. Their mobile phones are their way of, of, of managing their social life, but they've also become a bit of a thermometer about how they feel. And I think sometimes, and I'm not sure if this has happened, but I, I get a sense that over the lockdown, young people are very good at supporting one another. Mm. Yes. And they are really good at it. Mm. However, if you get two young people who are struggling that are trying to support one another, it can become a little bit uh, fragmented, yeah. um, a little bit unsafe, and it can be quite draining for, for one young person to hold somebody else's distress. So they call it the disinhibition effect online as well. And I think there's some real learning around for young people around um how much to share and what to share on social media so they spill out and become quite vulnerable on social media um and who's containing and who's holding that when that happens in a therapy room you've got a professional that's able to work with that 
So, of course, social media is going to be one part, I think, of the, the stress that young people feel. I'm going to say school. Um, I have to say school. And that comes back to the figures that have been quoted, that there are lots of children that find school an incredibly stressful place to go to on a daily basis. It isn't a pleasant experience for them. And that is a combination, I think, of social and academic struggles. Yeah. Um, so there are two that we could probably spend a whole afternoon on. <laughs> <laughs> and just just something I was thinking as well of the, with the social um, media side of things, I think something that really stands out for me that I have noticed actually is, you, you know, how long being on social media, accessing social media, you know, how long sh- should they be? Could they be is a, another debate, of course. But, but what I have become very aware of actually is is young people being or accessing social, social media very, very late or extremely early or even sometimes during the night as well. So that, again, compounds the an- potential anxieties going on for them about miscommunications or misinformed, misunderstood communications and, and sleep deprivation, which, mm. which has a huge impact on our young people. But I think this is where with our young people, we need to be educating them to manage themselves, Mm. to try and manage a teenager's phone. Any parent that's listening will know the battle that that involves. I'd really urge parents to also consider that there is a huge amount of pressure on young people to respond to any content that they get. It's not always out of, many times it's out of their control. And um, it's about, I think, enabling and educating and supporting our young people to manage what's right for them. Because their fear is if they don't respond to that text in the middle of the night, that perhaps their friendship could be at risk. That's the reality of what that young person Mm -hmm. is feeling. Yeah. So it's about educating them, I think. And we need to also acknowledge, Melissa, it's not just young people. Mm. I do a training day where I invite all of the counsellors to give me their phones and I ask them all to leave their phones on and place them in a basket. Oh, and it's yeah. fascinating to watch people's responses as they... Uh, and so actually, I think parents also have a response, responsibility yeah. to be uh, modelling behaviour, modelling healthy. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we don't always have to respond immediately to something. No. Very true. Very true. Well, let's, um, I'm sure, as you say, we could talk for a very, very long time, but I am conscious of time. So let's just take a quick break and we'll come back in just a moment. Hey there, guys. Well, I hope you're enjoying the conversation so far. This is just a very quick reminder to please ask you to leave a review and to subscribe at the end of the show. I have some wonderful weekly guests that join me and they come from a variety of different professional backgrounds, whether that be self-employed, employed or a charity organisation too. There really is something there for everyone. Okay, so let's go back to the discussion. So, Alison... um conversation continues then so the kids are back at school next week in in different capacities and they've got got a lot of um adjusting and the schools have obviously got a lot to deal with as well in in getting those children back safely as well um what are the things that we are 
as as parents, as a society, um, in the school settings, what do you think are the things that we're really going to have to be mindful of in managing the transition back to school you mentioned earlier that there, there'd been some survey and indicating that you know 50 percent of children are really looking forward to going back and 50 percent are not and and 50 percent is a lot of children mm-hmm. so what are the things that are sort of coming up for you for that are going to be helpful do you think and and maybe some of the things that are not going to be mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, the anticipation, I think, is is, is enormous for young people. Um, I think it is going to be really difficult for, for, for not just um, the young people, but for the staff as well to all get back into the rhythm of it. Mm. Um, things to be aware of. I mean, I think for me, it's always just about acknowledging, it, 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 acknowledging and, and validating the feelings, I think, that they're having. It is going to be really scary. It is going to be really worrying and um, it's unknown. And the school may look very different as well. You know, the systems are going to be very different. Um, they're going to see people they haven't seen for a really long time. People may look differently. You know, I, mean, I know haircuts and things like that. Young people are very conscious about those sorts of things. You know, it, it, I think for me, there's something about parents and teachers just allowing young people to just acknowledge that that's how they're feeling um, and doing the kind of gently transitioning people back in. So I had a young client I was talking to um, this week who who particular areas of school can be uh, quite painful for her socially. The anxiety is so high. So we had an exploration around maybe not doing everything in one day. You know, maybe just getting into school might be the target for the for the initial achievement. You know, making going to the canteen and doing all of those things and all the other requirements. It might be too much all in one go. Talk to people within the school. The schools have amazing pastoral um, departments or well-being departments. Every school calls them different things. And most schools are really willing to try and support young people. So, for example, this young person was going to then, after our discussion, was going to go back to her school and find out if she could perhaps, you know, sit somewhere quietly. I'd really encourage schools to open up some quiet areas for young people so that all young people aren't um, kind of, what's the word I'm looking for, meeting en masse at break time, which can be quite overwhelming. Mm. When a child is anxious, a lot of their senses are heightened as well. So they find the crowds and the noise overwhelming and it overstimulates their anxiety. So we need to be quietening this down, finding a quiet space and and, and helping the young people articulate to the people around them what it is that they need. Yeah, yeah. So, that you know, there's a lot of gentle work, I think, that can be done with. And and let's just not have too huge expectations. Yeah. Let's manage as adults, let's manage our expectations around them. And I th- reintegrating yeah and I think what's really struck me there Alison if, if, if we all you know we all quite simply think about it and it's it's the reality of it you know our, our young people our children I have um two young um secondary school children myself and you know they've all been at home for the past months and then all of a sudden they're all going to be coming back together again so even even for those 
even for those that are looking forward to going back to school, that could be quite going into overwhelm, you know, just thinking of all those many, many children all, all, all coming together. It's going together. to be exhausting, mm. It's going to be mentally and physically exhausting for them to get back into that groove of yeah. the routine of school. Mm. And mm. the ones that are happy and that bounce off and can get on the bus freely and, and go off, you know, they'll manage and they'll be exhausted and they'll manage. When you've got very low energy and you're incredibly heightened with your, your anxiety and your body is feeling it in every sense, we need to find a way of helping these young people quieten that down as opposed to exacerbating the anxiety. Yeah, yeah. And I, and I think picking up on a phrase that you said earlier, which, again, really stood out for me, and I think, I think it's something we could, we could all sort of sit with that, is that, you know, the, the education will follow... I think that that really, really stood out for me because I, I, again, something that comes up for me quite quite a lot is young people concerned about their education and where they're meant to be at, and of course it impacts on on young people in different ways depending on their age category, but also as a as a family environment and as for parents as well, you know, there's a great concern for them too they're 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 feeling anxious for their children and concerned about education and where they're meant to be at or how it's impacting on them mm-hmm. but also yeah that that phrase i think really really stood out is is education will follow because again however we term it, mental health emotional health well-being when that's in a good place things follow and when it's not it, it you know, it has you know do we do, and I think this will probably encapsulate what I'm really trying to say here is we want children to thrive and not mm. survive in school. Yeah. A lot of children survive on a daily basis. Yeah. And I know that may sound a little extreme, but that's the reality. It is a painful, stressful, awful daily routine that they have to engage in for many reasons. Um but yeah, we want them to thrive rather than survive. Mm-hmm. And we want them, and schools are getting so much better and are absolutely doing the very best with the resources that they have to support these children. Some schools have amazing things in place and they have well-being rooms and they have, teachers are much more understanding that sometimes people might just need to take a little bit of time uh, before they can answer questions and things like that. Um, so... I, I guess my my desire would be for all adults to just be calm um, because I think there's also going to have their own anxi- anxiety can ripple. It ripples out. But, you know, we have an anxious teacher or an anxious parent will have an anxious child and it works the other way. Anxious child, anxious parent, because we, we, become, we become and we worry about our children immensely. Try and be really calm, just be really grounded, accept the unknown, accept the feelings which are anticipation, nervousness. There could be a little bit of excitement in there as well. There's going to be an array of feelings that they're feeling to acknowledge them and validate those feelings. I think it's really important. And for most of us that are adults, we hope that actually the fears won't represent the day that they've had. And that they'll come home and it will have been okay. And then yeah. that will inform them and they, their anxiety will lessen. And they can build on that and they can build on, I've managed to get through a day, I can do tomorrow too. 
Yeah, yeah, I love that, Alison. I love that. And, and again, referencing what you you mentioned earlier on, you know, with one of the the clients that that you had been talking to about the fact that you know the small steps and actually the small achievements, um, getting through the day is going to be huge in itself. But actually, if there's lots of overwhelm in different areas, maybe just focusing on on getting through the one key thing, maybe in in that one day. We're coming up to the end of our time together. It's just been um, wonderful talking to you, uh, as always. And, And I'm sure... And I hope, you know, we can catch up at another time as well because there's just so much information that um, I'm sure the listeners are benefiting from in understanding and getting insight into what we need to be aware of, really, I think, on a, on a day-to-day basis within ourselves and obviously for our young people as well. Um, is on a, on a sort of lasting ending note, you know, children are going back in on Monday, parents are anxious, um, you know, if there's a, a couple of key things to really sort of say to them, what what would you say to sort of help them along the way in supporting their young children in in going back to school on Monday? Mm. Hear them, acknowledge them, and support them. Yeah. Hear them, acknowledge them, and support them. Love that. Thank you. Thank you. Well, look, thank you so much, Alison. Thank you for, for joining Very me welcome. this afternoon. It's It's been, um, as I say, great listening to you. Wishing you all the very best um, with continued fantastic work that Number 22's um, doing, providing to its community and also yourself with your uh, school counsellors as well. And I hope to catch up with you at a later date. Thank you very much, Melissa. And thank you for giving number 22 the opportunity of um, being a voice for our community and our clients um, who we value um, immensely so thank you for that and just also before you go should anybody like to donate contribute volunteer um, I take it they'll, they'll just access number 22 web website yeah, we have an amazing it's on there um, whether you're a parent a, a young person a Council wanting to volunteer or donate, anybody and everybody can access what they need on our website. So please do. Wonderful. All right. Well, thank you so much. Have a pleasant weekend and wishing you all the best for, num- uh, for 2021. And you know, you. do keep safe and do keep well. Thank you, Melissa. Hey there. So I hope you enjoyed listening to this show. As I mentioned in my intro, this podcast is about talking to real people who are doing amazing and interesting things in different areas of their lives. As I develop and improve on this podcast, I hope that you'll continue on this journey with me and be inspired in some way by my guests. I'll leave you with a little quote that I like by Albert Einstein. Life is like a bicycle. To keep your balance, you must keep moving. Take care, everyone, and please listen in again.